Well, I appreciate everybody coming out tonight. Um, tonight's a night that we'll really get deep into some of the uh, number aspects of uh, finances. Uh, in fact, what I'm going to do, let's see, I've got about 20 of these. So we can hand some of these out. Probably at least at this point in time, one enough for everybody, actually. And we'll go through this in a little bit. Last week we talked about managing debt, and debt is a very challenging area to deal with. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about something that can even require more commitment, and that's learning how to put together a budget and to deal with budgeting to begin with. Uh, and the one thing I'll say starting off, uh, those of you that are used to working with numbers and, th and you're comfortable with that sort of thing, uh, that's great. If you're not used to working with numbers, and this is something, though, that you still want to do, then I would strongly suggest that you get somebody to help you, whether it's a friend or an acquaintance, maybe somebody at work, or somebody that you have a little bit of trust and confidence in. Um, get somebody to help you through it, because there's a lot of things that you'll do, uh, perhaps working with a calculator and adding up totals and things of that nature. So I would strongly encourage you with the stuff that we're talking about uh, and the handouts that you've been given, we're going to go through those in some detail. Uh, but at the same time, uh, if there's a comfort level that you say, you know, I'm just not really good at this sort of thing, then I would strongly encourage you to uh, get some help. Uh, and there are a number of people around, I'm sure friends that would be more than able to give you a help, helping hand, especially if you show a sincere effort in making some changes in this area. Uh, budget is, let me see if I can figure out how to work this thing. This way? There we go. Hopefully you can read some of that. Um, budgeting is really a part of an overall financial plan that you should have in your life. Uh, everybody needs to have a plan of some sort. Uh, whether you're a single person, uh, just like a company, or even a church. A church needs to have a financial plan so that they have an idea of where you're going. And this is true whether you're a family, got children, whether you're a single parent, whether you're a single individual. Uh, you need to have some sort of financial plan. This plan will change over time, like any other plan, as things change within your life but you still need to have a plan. Some people's plans are saying, hey, why do I need a plan? I'm just going to pray and win the lottery. Well, that's really not a good financial plan, and it's not God's way of doing things. Uh, Proverbs 29:18 says, without a vision, the people perish. You need to have a vision, and in this particular case, a financial vision in terms of where you're going. Some Christians will sometimes question whether or not they need a financial plan. After all, why don't we just believe in God and depend on God and he's going to fulfill my every need? 
Uh, while it's certainly true that God will help us and is there when we need him, to sit back at home and do nothing and watch TV all day is not exactly what's God's plan for you to do. I mean, think about it for a second. If you had, uh, if you're old enough, maybe you've got an uh, adult child sitting at home with you, or uh, maybe you've got a roommate. Well, if that roommate did nothing but watch TV all day and was looking for you to support them, or the same is true of that uh, grown child, uh, are you just going to go along with that and say, hey, that's great. If you can find that person, let me know because I'll have them adopt me. <laughs> because uh, those are not the types of things that you really want to have happen. And this is not God's way in terms of you dealing with your finances. Proverbs 24.3 says, Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. Financial planning... See if I can get this thing here. There we go. Financial planning requires really a changed attitude. You need to be focused. You need to stay a particular course once you've made your mind that you're going to do this. You need to be flexible. You need to be willing to change if something isn't working. Definition of insanity, you've heard many times, is doing the same thing, looking for different results. Budgeting requires flexibility. You have to be patient. You didn't get in this particular situation overnight. Success is a process. It's not a light switch that you turn on and I'm going to be successful and everything's going to balance tomorrow. That's not the way this works. Like we talked about earlier, you need to be humble. Seek advice. You should. If it's not working, find a way to make it work. As it says in the Bible, pride goes before a fall. You need to be able to find a way to do this if you find yourself in trouble. You need to be cautious and avoid shortcuts. Like we talked about last week, don't go in, you know, entertaining every internet scheme that you see out there looking for the Nigerian king to give you $12 billion. It's not going to happen. And last, you need to be disciplined and be able to follow the plan and make tough decisions. In doing financial planning, you need to have short-term and long-term goals. This sounds very fancy, but a short-term goal can be as easy as paying the bills, buying food, saving up for a particular special item. Maybe you need a new washing machine or you want to go on a short vacation somewhere. It helps and is very necessary for you to be goal-oriented so you have an idea of where you're going and you're just not a ship in the middle of the ocean without a rudder just praying that you land in the right spot. That's not the way this works. These goals will give you routine and a process that needs to be followed through on. You should have, for example, a set time during the month if we're talking about paying bills. However your bills fall, if it's maybe the 10th of the month or the 20th of the month, pick that time and pay the bills together. If you're married, pick somebody, which one of the best, the two of you, that is good at doing numbers and a checkbook and has an idea of how all of this comes together. That should be a regular assignment in terms of 
how you accomplish things, if you're going to get things done. And whatever your goals are, you know, write them down. Maybe put them on the fridge. Say, this month we're going to save money for this. Habakkuk 2.2 says, write the vision and make it plain. Again, that's what the refrigerator's for, if nothing else. Make sure you've got goals. A few quick points on paying bills. Make sure that what you're paying is correct. You just don't pay a bill because somebody sends you one. Don't just assume you're being billed correctly. For example, look at your phone bill. You were charged so much for a particular plan. Maybe you were charged so much for certain um, text messages. Maybe you were on an internet plan of so much a month. Look at that and make sure this is what you agreed upon because I'm here to tell you they don't always get it right. And even if they do get it right, you'd be amazed what happens if you call the phone company and say, gee, you're charging me $20 a month for internet. I thought I saw something for 15. Can we make a deal here? It happens all the time. And if you don't believe me, my wife Joanne will tell you that she's playing let's make a deal with the phone company on internet, on phone service, on cell phones, uh, just about every other month it seems, until she gets what she thinks I need. And so, <laughs> and, and I use, Joanne does not use a cell phone much, I use it constantly. So she wants to make sure that I'm under control in that particular situation. I was in the woods this past uh, weekend hunting with my son-in-law and other people, and uh, we would send text messages back and forth between ourselves in these hunting blinds. And when you're sending a text back and forth, every, about, every five minutes, did you see that squirrel? How about that rabbit? The phone bill mounts up. And so you want to be sure that you've got the right plan to cover yourself in situations like that. Um, we talked last week about matching credit card receipts. Credit card companies are famous for either not billing things correctly or maybe they got a number wrong. Companies make mistakes. Match those receipts so that you make sure that what's on that credit card statement is correct. Um, how many here have a checkbook? How often do you reconcile that checkbook? You do it every month? You should. It's amazing what the banks can and can't do, should or shouldn't do. They make mistakes too. I've, I've seen, pardon me? I reconcile my, I won't tell you that I do it religiously as soon as my bank statement comes in, but you need to reconcile every month. What about once a week? Once a week? Yeah. Once a week is pretty hard because usually you'll only see a statement once a month. Yeah. If you know what's going through your bank account, say, by going online mm -hmm. and comparing it to what your checkbook says, you can certainly do that. Uh, it, in my mind, it's nice, but most of the time, once a month is sufficient. How many know how to reconcile their bank account? How many, I don't know if I should answer, ask this question, how many don't know how to reconcile a bank account? Maria?
Sure. Yeah, where I work, I check my bank account where I work every day. You know. Now, is that what you call the plan? Is reconciling? Reconciling is making sure that what's your bank account is saying ultimately will match what your checkbook says in terms of your running total. Most of the time, the differences between the two will be checks that are outstanding that you've written that haven't been cashed. Occasionally, maybe a deposit is a little timing thing where you've got the deposit in, but the bank may have not given you credit for a day or two. But most of the time, the checks that have not cleared are what's going to reconcile the two accounts. But you want to be sure that that happens because the bank can sometimes charge you for something it shouldn't charge you for. Uh, maybe you agreed that uh, the bank shouldn't charge you fees for your particular ch type of checking account. Well, if you see fees on there, somebody made a mistake. You want to be able to call the bank and say something's wrong. So reconciling that account is very important to do to make sure that you and the bank are saying the same thing. We're talking about goals. You should also have long-range goals. Uh, this can involve saving for college, saving for an upcoming marriage, um, things of that nature, retirement, uh, building a rainy day fund. Uh, as a general rule of thumb, people will tell you you should have at least six months' worth of expenses saved in case you were to run into a situation like a lost job, or some other crisis along those lines. That's kind of hard to do if you're basically living paycheck to paycheck. But you still need to start somewhere. How do you eat that elephant again? One step at a time. Save a little bit of money. If it's $5 or $10 or whatever a week, get in the habit of saving money, some fashion or another. Um, one important thing that, uh, i be honest with you, I wasn't as good as I probably should have been, and that is when you're making these type of plans, if you have children, share them with your children. Maybe they won't understand everything and get a complete concept, but let them in on the idea that you're going through a process that you're trying to make sure that everything is taken care of, the house is stable, you're going to have food and so forth. Uh, this not only makes them a part, it makes them feel that, you know, again, we've got this family unit, but at the same time, depending on what age they are, this will help them as they grow up someday and have children in situations of their own. Because, uh, sad to say, there are a lot of things that they don't teach you in school, and managing money is one of them. So you either learn that one by the seat of your pants, or you, you come to a class like this perhaps, or you learn by school of hard knocks, or, or whatever. So it's good to start children young, either handling an allowance or some sort of situation that teaches them how to manage money. Um, okay. We are going to start talking about the individual budget themselves. And if, if we could all stand up and say in unison, household income must be greater than household expense. Amen.
said another way, if your outflow exceeds your income, then your upkeep will be your downfall. I can't be any plainer than that. That's really where we need to be. Budgeting is not easy, and you need to be committed, or it's just simply a worthless exercise that you're going through. Some families in financial difficulty think that they'll solve the problem by just simply adding income. We talked last week, you know, lottery winners quite often are broke after two years. If perhaps uh, you're taking a second job, or um, maybe a spouse has decided to go to work, all of these may be good things to add money. But at the same time, if you don't have a plan and you don't have control, you could make matters worse because all of a sudden you've got a little bit extra money and you think you're rich and I'm going to go out and have fun. I'm going to go out and have that big vacation. I'm going to go out and buy that Lamborghini. I'm going to go all and do these sort of things. You need to have a plan and you need to have control if you're going to make things work. With no plan or balance, we're just going to be like the federal government. And I don't have to tell you what one trillion dollars in debt might feel like and where our children might inherit many years from now. I'm not trying to get political, but uh, this type of thing scares me to death. And the idea of having that type of debt to deal with, and if you bring it down to a family level, any amount of debt that puts that much level of stress and pain has got to be dealt with and made to go away. In terms of dealing with uh, putting together a budget, we're going to talk about two different types of expenses. First type of expense is what we call mandatory expense. These are expenses that you have to cover. You have no choice once you've started this process going. Things along this line are going to be housing, transportation, food, clothing, insurance, medical, loan payments. But at the same time, even though these things may be mandatory, you do have a little level of discretion. Housing, for example, you can buy a big house or you can buy a small house. You can say, gee, it'd be wonderful to have this half-million-dollar house. But quite honestly, if I'm trying to live in uh, a champagne lifestyle and I've only got a beer budget, it doesn't take long to figure out that something's going to not work out. So you need to evaluate, even though these expenses are things you have to have, I have to have a place to live. I have to have food to eat. I need a car to get back and forth wherever I might work or to go to church or to do anything. These are mandatory type expenses, but you do have choices in terms of how you fulfill each one. What kind of house? What kind of car? I don't necessarily have to eat T-bone steak every night. Uh, clothing is great. Got to have clothing. The society takes a dim view of not wearing clothing. So, but at the same time, I need shoes. I don't need 50 pairs of shoes. And so you have some discretion within these mandatory expenses in terms of 
what you do and how you do it. Discretionary expenses. Eating meals out. Entertainment. I know I'm going to start to hit some soft points here, or maybe some tough nerves, but how about cable TV? Internet. My famous cell phone. Excessive clothing or beauty needs or whatever. You have to decide what's of these discretionary items. I don't have to have cable TV. I may die if I don't see ESPN and see my sports teams, but I don't have to have cable TV. I have to have email service. Well, okay, maybe. Can I afford it? But this, again, goes where we talked about a little earlier as far as I can get Internet service, but I have choices of the types of Internet service. I can have super fast, faster than a speeding bullet type Internet service, or I can maybe go down a couple of spaces and save a few dollars. I still have the service, I just have to be a little patient. So you look at, and there's many other discretionary expenses. This is just um, my short list at the moment. But this is what you really need to look at and say, okay, what are these things do I have to have? What's nice to have? And if I have to make some adjustments, how can I adjust within these discretionary expenses? Okay, here's where we start to have some fun. There are five steps to putting a budget together. The first step is determine what your income and spending patterns are. If you don't know, you're going to have to find out. It's amazing how many people don't know what all their expenses are, what all their income is. It just sort of all flows into a pile, and whoever happens to be top of the pile is the people that I pay this week, and if you're at the bottom of the pile, well, it just doesn't quite happen. You need to put it all together and figure out what income you have and what expense you have. Now, the packet I handed out to you goes through a series of worksheets. And this is where the accountant comes out in me, and hopefully you'll be able to process it all. But at the same time, I would strongly encourage you that if it gives you any concern, please seek the help to go through and make some of this happen. It's not difficult, but it does require a little bit of time and a little bit of working with the numbers and being a little tedious. But it's definitely worth doing and something you need to do, especially if you find yourself not really knowing where you're at. The first worksheet I gave you basically asked the question, where do you stand today? This one is totally blank and meant for you, ultimately, to do your homework. Because your homework will be to complete this. I'm not going to collect it. It's solely for you to help you know where you're at today. And I would strongly encourage you to go through that. Maybe not now, maybe not tonight, maybe not tomorrow, but sometime in the next week, two weeks. But I would strongly encourage you to do it so that you know, if nothing else, where the inflows and the outflows of your particular financial statement are. That's the first two pages of what I gave you, and again, that's blank, 
to allow you to be able to do that. The second worksheet is an example of one completed to give you an idea of how it works. Where do all the numbers come from? Well, if I start at the very top, monthly income. All of this is being done now on a month period. My monthly income, and I'm driving this off of, in this particular example, a person who makes $48,000 a year. Just a number I picked. Could be far greater, far less. Don't know where any of you are at, but it's just simply an example. And that, take it solely at that. It's not meant to indicate or imply anything beyond that. So I have gross income of about $4,000 a month. My net income, because I have taxes, much as I hate to say it, the Medicare tax, the Social Security tax, federal income tax, all has to come out of there. We're fortunate here in Texas that we don't have a state income tax. They get us other ways, of course. But uh, we can, at this point, only have the federal tax to deal with coming out of our paycheck. So I assumed that was about 20%. And so I took 20% of $4,000, which is about $800. And so I have a net monthly income of around $3,200. Do I have any other income? In this particular example, I had a little bit of interest income that maybe I've earned on some sort of investment, uh, bank account, although uh, bank accounts today are not paying enough to buy bubble gum. So maybe, but maybe I do odd jobs. Maybe I've got some little income on the side. Maybe I'm a carpenter and, and I do work on the side. Or I'm an accountant and I do somebody's tax return. Or whatever other type of income I have. It may be a little inconsistent, but on an average, what do you have in terms of other types of income that you have in a given month? Maybe you babysit. Uh, it could be anything, but it needs to be considered here in some sort of, well, maybe it's about $100 a month, whatever that might be. So that's what I have assumed here. And so I've got income before tithe and expenses. That's $3,300. Now you see here, right in between, I have separated the tithe. I consider to be a tithe something that you have to do. And so I build that tithe in here as something that comes literally right off the top. So in this particular case, I've got $50. Now you're going to say, well, that number doesn't work. You're right. But this is my example. This is me. Not me personally, but this is me. This is what's happening in my example. So this person is not in line with tithing. But this is an example, and we're going to work all the way through, and we're going to take it to the next steps as we see how all of this comes together. So I have a figure that I know called 
spendable income, $3,250. The $50 came off of my $3,300. That $3,250 is now what I have to spend on whatever are my needs, mandatory and discretionary expenses. I have broken all of these expenses down into very broad categories of housing, car, insurance, um, food, debts, entertainment, clothing, and so on. These numbers, although somewhat reasonable, are just simply numbers I picked. Uh, a mortgage of $500 a month, depends on the kind of house you have. Could be high, could be low. And so on down the line. I'm not going to go through each individual item, but you need to put all this together. Where do I find out all of this information? Well, first of all, most of us sounded like they had a checkbook. So I'd go through my checkbook and see what expenses that I write out of my checkbook every month. Look at my credit card statement. What things do I charge to a credit card? Gas, food, uh, whatever I, shopping I do at Walmart. Um, the toughest part, put this together, is that if I spend a lot in cash, I have to be able to come up with my best estimate of what I'm spending in cash. If I uh, use cash in a restaurant, for example, or uh, Home Depot and I, I bought a rake or whatever and I used to spend cash, all of that cash mounts up. You're going to have to, uh, and as you're doing this, and you say, okay, I'm going to start doing this now, maybe over the course of the next month, be very, very um, specific about this and just write down everything you write on cash. Whether I spend a dollar on bubble gum or whatever, just write down everything you spend on cash. You'd be amazed how it all adds up. You might find information in your tax returns. Um, if you have quarterly expenses or things you pay maybe once every six months, maybe like a car insurance bill or something like that, sometimes those things are divided up by six or by 12. But maybe you maybe make an insurance payment once every six months. Well, divide that up by six. Or if you may be making a quarterly insurance payment maybe on a life insurance policy, divide that by three. But have something in there for that type of expense as you put this down. Utilities can be a real tough one because it's either really going to be real hot or real cold. So I'm going to have maybe some not so bad months like in the springtime around here. But if I look in the winter, when my gas bill goes way up because of heat, or my electricity shoots up way high because of air conditioning in the summer, well, you know, I can have differences that are all over the place. So try to look at those bills if you've got them for over a, you know, several months and take a good average. If you're not real good about handling that sort of thing, um, talk to your utility company because quite often they will allow you to do a flat payment every month so that you can budget accordingly and pay only $60 a month for so many months. They ultimately have a, a day of reckoning, so to speak, 
but at least you've got a flat amount that you can allow for so that the huge bills in July don't kill you and the ones that are in September or October kind of save you a little bit, but you know, you had to survive July first. So you can spread that out over time. Utility companies will allow you to do that. Um, one other thing to consider, food and eating out are not the same thing. Food is what you may buy at Albertsons or Walmart or wherever, whereas eating out is the Applebee's and McDonald's and all of those types of places to all other different kinds of restaurants that this city has tons and tons of. So the, my worksheet, too, has got all of this information in it. And as I come down, lo and behold, my expense exceeds my income by $405. And I've saved nothing, and I have not tithed, other than a small amount. I'm not exactly in good shape. So what do you do? You take that next step, and you develop your budget, which is worksheet three. The third week worksheet will show you areas that I have changed the budget I just showed you in worksheet two in order to make things work. I've got the very same income at the top. But notice that I have built a tithe. In this particular case, $410 tithe. Notice that I have tithed on the gross income and not the net, which is 10% of 4,000, that's 400. And I had another $100 of other income, another $10, so I'm tithing $410. That's what I am doing straight off the top. And before I go anywhere to my point of developing spendable income, I have covered that mandatory expense. Malachi talks about tithing and bringing into the storehouse, which in my mind is the local church. And all of these budget processes are really stressing the need to be able to do that. You need to be able to plan your budget around that and consider it as an expense like you're paying for the mortgage or paying for food or whatever the case may be. Beyond that, you should tithe on increases that you have. Maybe you have a, a investment stock gain. Maybe you have Social Security payment. Maybe you have other sort of governmental assistance. Or maybe there's a substantial gift that you receive from somebody. Maybe you won the lottery. Okay? All those good things. Income is good. But you have to remember to give God his due on that increase that you receive. I'll also point out before I go into the details of number three, uh, the last page of the handout, uh, and this is a very general guideline, but you will see what are called budget percentage guidelines. 
this is, again, it, it, it's very difficult with different income levels and different situations to um, have a hard and fast, if I'm not at 32%, I'm in deep trouble. Please don't take this that way. But these are approximate percentages that you might aim toward building your expense side of your budget. As I mentioned somewhere in here, you know, if you're a couple of percentage points off or three or four percentage points off, maybe on housing or something along that line, certainly don't worry about that. But if the guideline says 5% and you're at 30%, you might want to look at that one just to see what's going on and why. And that's the whole purpose behind that last page is to give you just a feeling of how close am I to where I should be? And if my car expenses are 40%, maybe it's time for me to sell that Corvette. Just a thought. To follow through on worksheet three, what I did here, every area that you see a little shading is an area that I changed from worksheet two in order to make worksheet three a balanced budget. For example, I changed the tithe from what was 50 to 410. I changed insurance to 80 because I, and I gave you a little bit of an indication as to what I did. I chose a higher deductible on my house insurance policy. Uh, telephone. I had a landline and a cell phone. I said, time for that landline to go. I'm only on a cell phone. I'll save that money. All through this process, I have changed these expenses. I had an expensive car. I sold it, and I got a less expensive car. I have changed these line items to make my budget work. Nobody said this was going to be easy but I've had to make changes in order to make my budget balance. So everywhere you see a shaded area is something that I changed or cut in order to make my budget work. And lo and behold, I found a way to do it. And you can see everything I cut and everything I changed in order to get to that point. I now have a balanced budget. That's a great exercise. But now, <laughs> I gotta make this thing work. And so you need to be dis disciplined and determined to try to make this happen. Now let me say that just because you put this in place today, it's not going to be, oh my gosh, this is the month of April, I'll have a budget for May, and now it's June, and. I blew it, and, or I didn't do things right, or whatever. This is, this is an evolution. This is a process that you will need to get to, certainly not taking years, but over the course of a short period of time, you need to get to this point if you aren't there. That's what you need to concentrate on. Now, the last worksheet... And there are a lot of different ways to do this. But I look at my results. And so I compared 
in the far left column the budget that I put together and what my actual was for a particular month. So I'm comparing, let's just say I did this in the month of May, the budget I had for May, what I actually spent and took in as income in May, and I subtracted the two to see how I did. If I'm really close or really good, you know, mortgage, I shouldn't have too much variation in a mortgage, I should know what my mortgage number is. But, you know, it's really kind of tough because I bought that uh, used car, and, you know, you know it uh, cost a little bit more in gas, more than I thought. I, um, let's see, I, I, I did do well in terms of maintenance around the house. I saved $50 there. Um, I didn't spend $25 in repairing the car, and so on down the line. But, you know, I made up for it. I, used to, I did have budgeted $80 uh, dollars to eat out. I spent $150. It's time to uh, not go to uh, Texas Day Brazil and maybe consider McDonald's. Those are the types of things, those are the type of decisions you need to make. Now, I don't own stock in McDonald's, so don't take it the wrong way. But you will need to make those type of decisions, those type of hard, hard decisions in order to make this balance of work. And this worksheet is designed to help you find where did I blow it. One of the hardest things is to kind of keep track of all of your uh, cash expenditures. Because again, uh, you know, it's easy to take out your wallet, you know, Here's five, I just went to Brahms, I spent $5 at Brahms buying two ice creams. Okay, well, that's $5.17 or whatever it is, and so on down the line. And maybe I'm at McDonald's and I spent another 15 You need to be able to write that down. I know, I know, it's tough. But you need to know where your money's going, and you need to be able to, be able to ultimately account for that money so that you have an idea of what I'm actually spending versus the budget that I'm putting together. You may find, is that when it comes right down to it, that you're going to have to do a little downsizing. Maybe I have to sell something. Maybe I have to move somewhere. I have to make those tough decisions if I'm going to make this work. And there's nothing more than I can say. There's no magic potion that will make this work other than you de determining that I'm going to make this work in terms of what income I have and being able to live within my means. Now, there are a variety of things. I mean, you could probably have a five-hour course on how to save money. Uh, I'm putting, I put down some things here just for you to think about um, that... A number of people that I know take advantage of in order to save some money. Maybe you're not a couponing person. Beyond some of the downsizing and so forth that we've talked about. But coupons can save you a lot of money. My wife Joanne is the coupon queen. 
and I make fun of her. But when I turn that coupon in at Brahms and I'm only paying $3.50 instead of five and a quarter, that's okay. That piece of paper didn't cost me anything and it saved me $2. And there's lots of things you can do along that line to save you money. I mentioned earlier about talking to the phone company, about less expensive plans for the phone, the internet, cell phone. It's amazing what happens when you say the magic words, I'm going to leave you. That they can all of a sudden, oh, there's a plan I just remembered that will exactly fit your needs. Miraculous. A miracle. And it's $5, $10 cheap. Oh, hey, how wonderful. You know, now you ask yourself, why didn't you offer that before? We all know why. But when you say those magic words, it's like manna from heaven just opened up. And that's what happens. So don't be afraid to play a little hardball with these people. Utility companies. It wasn't all that long ago that I paid, I think it was like 15 or 16 cents a kilowatt hour. I was getting killed. Now I pay 10. And I was on a contract before and I'm not on a contract now. Go figure that one. I said them, I didn't say them. That lady said them. Okay, I, as you can see, I, can, I depend on her because it's like a division of labor like I talked about. I may be better at doing the mechanics and the numbers. She's great at talking to people and saying, I'm about to leave, what are you gonna do for me? That's what she does. So that's our division of labor. But again, <laughs> I've got no contract and I'm paying 10 cents a kilowatt hour. Where I'm working, at the company I'm working at, I'm paying 6 cents a kilowatt hour. Now, I'm bigger and all those other wonderful things that go with that. But my point is, you can negotiate better deals by simply laying into them. Check your utility bill. How many know right now how much you're paying for kilowatt hour? You have two, three people. Look at that bill. In Garland, we can't, we can't choose a different utility. In Garland, we're stuck. Well, you may be stuck, but I, could, I would still talk to them. I would still... You know, the company that I use where I work is a reseller. And they are a church, and they, they were used where I used to be at Hillcrest Church. Mm -hmm. Hillcrest Church paid six cents a kilowatt hour. Okay. So, and those are the important things to look at. Nobody thinks about that bill and kilowatt hours and, oh, my head hurts just thinking about these things. Well, talk to them. Deal with them. You have nothing to lose. You're no worse off than you are today by negotiating. Um, raise deductibles on your insurance plans. Car, house. Most of your deductibles on a house right now are usually on a percentage basis, maybe 1% or 2%. You can save some money there. Look at your deductible on your car. 
What kind of car do you have? If you've got a, a late model car, okay. If you don't have a late model car, maybe it's kind of like 10 years old. And if it doesn't work real good, maybe you'd consider dropping collision. Just keep liability. Things to think about. Do some tax planning. For example, make sure that you make your mortgage payment for January of the new year in December so that you get the interest for December in that year and not the next. Um, there are IRA deductions and all sorts of school expenses and all sorts of different tax deductions that you can kind of deal with. Uh, and this is not intended to be kind of a tax seminar, but look at things that you think may be able to help you and ask somebody that knows if there is something that will benefit you. Again, you don't have to be the expert in everything. Just talk to somebody that can help you. One of my favorite things to do is negotiate. Joanne likes to talk to the phone companies and all those other people like that on the phone. Me, I like to negotiate with car dealers. Um, other people like that. If I walk into Firestone, and I buy a pair of tires, I will never pay what they're telling me they're going to charge me. I'll just, hey, you got to do better than that. I want 20% off. I'm a good customer. I got three vehicles. Da 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 da. Don't be afraid to negotiate. I, I talked to, um, we bought our car at uh, Gateway Buick. You talk to them. If you're real nice about it, we had a situation where uh, our car was out of warranty by about a month. Talk to them real nice. A $500 bill all of a sudden found its way to be covered by warranty, even though the car was out of warranty. It doesn't hurt to ask. They can always say no, but it doesn't hurt to ask. And at the same time, hey, can you work with me here? What can you work out? Let's, you know, hey, times are tough. Give me a break. You know, whatever, whatever it is that you do or however you do it, don't be afraid to negotiate. You have nothing to lose. A little bit of time. So, the one thing I will close here in terms of telling you about is record keeping and record retention. From a record keeping standpoint, I would make sure that you have some sort of organized system for everything you pay. For example, uh, we have one of these uh, plastic uh, two-drawer filing cabinets with a bunch of envelopes and uh, foldings in there, folders. One folder is for medical expenses. One folder is for house. One folder is for uh, insurance. Another folder is for car and so on and so on and so on. Utilities. We have all of those organized by type, generally for a year. So that if I ever want to know something about one of those things, I know where to find it, I know how to get to it. And, uh, you know, again, in this particular exercise right here, it's real handy to pull out that utility folder and all of a sudden I've got all my utility bills for the last six months right there. So keep everything in an organized fashion. It's not hard. But it'll be very, very helpful, particularly as you go through this exercise, if you keep everything like that together. Um, 
we've got probably 20 different kinds of folders between insurances and cars and one folder for each car and I probably overdo it a little bit but uh, that's the best way to keep yourself organized so that you can find these things what records do you keep the records that I would keep for a long period of time is anything permanent and by permanent I mean when you buy something big like a house or a car um, utility bills on the other hand you don't need to have more than a year's worth of them and then you only to help you with an exercise like we're talking about here same with the telephone credit card statements I'd only keep those for about maybe two years and the only reason I keep them a little longer is that if I bought something that all of a sudden maybe had a warranty to it that I want to go back and be able to prove to somebody that I bought you know, maybe I bought a stereo at Best Buy or something along that line. So I'd keep the credit card statements for a couple of years. Tax returns, generally speaking, unless you're um, worried about fraud and jail and wearing an orange suit, um, usually you can, after about six or seven years, you don't have to worry about keeping many of your tax returns. Generally, uh, you don't have to worry about being an audit after three. But... Uh, Again, it doesn't hurt to be a little bit more cautious. I usually keep them for six or seven. Not that I'm guilty of fraud. But <laughs> um, that's what I would do as far as those are concerned. Um, and the rest of it is what your comfort level is. But you don't necessarily need to keep a lot of paper. But if you're getting rid of paper that has any sensitive information on it, like a medical bill with your Social Security number on it, I bet I don't have to complete that thought find a way to shred that you can buy a shredder at staples or whatever for 20 bucks buy a shredder and shred anything sensitive because that will again help you against the identity theft that we talked about last week so um, we talked about the filing system and record retention the best thing I would encourage you to do as we close tonight is to simply say, don't do it for me, but do it for yourself. So do your homework. Go through that worksheet. See where you are. If nothing else, it'll kind of give you an idea of how it all comes together. And if you're doing great, you've got a positive bottom line, praise God, celebrate. Okay? But if you've got a negative number and you're not tithing, it's time to make a change. I'd happy to answer any questions we have in the little time that we have left. You're going to make it easy on me. Well, it's not real easy. <laughs> um, the only thing I can tell you there is I would search around as much as you possibly can. Either uh, CarMax will give you a, uh, a value on the car. Uh, you can kind of get an, an idea of the value of the car by looking on the Internet and seeing what other people are selling them for. If you still think you're going to come up short, whatever number of money, the only thing you can do is find a way to make up that difference. There's, that's the only way. There's nothing else you can do. I'd like to think that there was a magic formula, but there isn't.
Fantastic. I appreciate you all coming. Um, I mean this very sincerely that if there's something I can help anybody with here, uh, and I realize sometimes in a large group you're afraid to ask a question or whatever, uh, but if you ever do need any assistance in anything that I've talked about, one-on-one uh, -on -one or whatever, I'm more than happy to help you.